official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Yes, last week we started a five-week journey through the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is a book of the Bible that's largely neglected in Sunday morning sermons. And there are several reasons for that. One, it's a short book. Lamentations is only five chapters. So oftentimes when you're flipping through your Bible, it's easy to skip over. It's easy to get overlooked. A second reason that Lamentations is is often neglected in church pulpits is it's an odd book. It's an odd book because although it's, it's part of the word of God, God doesn't speak in the book. God doesn't utter a single sentence in the book of Lamentations, and yet it's God's word, and so that's a, it's a little odd, right? A third reason that Lamentations is, is neglected a lot of times in Sunday sermons is, unfortunately, we have a church culture that resists sorrow and lament, Uh, Unfortunately, many Christians view grieving as evidencing a lack of faith, when in fact, uh, Scripture is full of lament. It's full of sorrow. It's full of grieving. Jesus, the leader of our movement, Jesus himself showed sorrow and grieved, right? We see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. We, We read about him grieving over the city of Jerusalem. When he's on the cross being crucified, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet somehow, many of his followers have adopted this false narrative that sorrow and grief and lament is is proof that our, our faith is weak. It's simply not true. The fourth reason that lament is um, neglected in the book of Lamentations is often not preached from or read, is society tells us that discomfort, pain, and lament are bad, that they're to be avoided at all costs. And and you and I, we go to great lengths to eliminate them from our lives entirely. And because we live in the Western culture, we have the resources to do so, right? How many of you have ever had a negative emotion just kind of poke its head up his ugly face up in your heart, and it's a, a sad emotion or an angry emotion or, or a, a distraught or a confused emotion, and you immediately reach in your pocket and pull out your cell phone to distract you from that emotion. I guess I'm the only one who's ever done that before. But as, as Americans especially, you know, we, we, we have the advantage of carrying aspirin and an Android phone in our pocket to eliminate any pain or discomfort. If you're a Christian and God's revealed himself to you, it's not an Android phone, an aspirin, it's ibuprofen and an iPhone. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) If you have an Android phone and are still taking aspirin, we have prayer available at the end of the service. God will meet you in a very special way. But but we we have become experts. We've become experts at avoiding discomfort. But to lament is human. And scripture includes the book of Lamentations 
for a reason. So I gave you four reasons why the book of Lamentations is a, normally avoided. Let me give you four reasons why it's in Scripture. Number one, the book of Lamentations helps us to process our emotions. In these lament poems, there are five of them. Each chapter in the book of Lamentations is a poem, a lament poem. In these lament poems, what you find is God's people venting their anger and their dismay at a broken and sin-torn world. And it provides us, the book of Lamentations provides us with language to use in our own prayers of lament toward, toward God. The second reason the book of Lamentations can be found in the Bible is because it's a form of protest. It's a way of drawing attention to things in our world that just shouldn't be. Have you ever noticed that there are some things in the world that just shouldn't be? Lamentations gives a voice to those. It gives a sacred dignity to human suffering. The third reason Lamentations is included in Scripture is it makes us ask questions about who God is and his character. And you might think, wait, isn't it a bad thing to question who God is and his character? No, um, that is not looked down on in Scripture. In fact, it's encouraged. Questions do not weaken our faith. They strengthen our faith. And here's why. Because when we ask questions about God and his character, it enables us to dig down deep and to discover who he is. Right? And God is faithful to reveal himself. So we don't have to worry about asking questions to God. Jesus himself asked the question to his father God on the cross. And he's our model, right? The fourth reason that we have the book of Lamentations is it shows us how to make lament, repentance, and prayer part of our faith journey. Um, lament, repentance, and prayer are spiritual practices that we need to learn as God's people if we're going to live faithfully in a broken, sin-torn world. <laughs> if we're going to live in this world, we have got to learn how to use the practices of lament, repentance, and prayer. And Lamentations helps us with that. Okay, my apologies for the, for the long introduction. Um, I'll make up for it this morning because I'm not going to do a ton of preaching this morning. I thought that we could do something a little different this morning, and you can all help me preach this morning. And I'll explain how we're going to do that um, in just a minute. But before we do, I have to give a quick backdrop to Lamentations chapter 2 which is the section that we're going to be looking at this morning. As Ian mentioned last week, the book of Lamentations is a collection of five poetic laments over the destruction of Jerusalem. And the only way to really appreciate and, and, and try to feel this book is to make it personal. And so I want us to do something this morning. I want us all to imagine that the city and the town that you live in and I want you to imagine it being besieged. It's blockaded. And it's blockaded for two and a half years. So if, if we were to think about that, it would be from now, today, to somewhere around September 2022. And the people in your town or in your city, they're trapped in there. Not only are 
you and them threatened by a massive invading army, but you're also starving because there's no food being shipped in. And so the only food for two and a half years in your city or in your town that you can, is the food that you can find or the food that you can produce inside the city. And then imagine after you and your neighbors and your, your, your town folk, your city folk surrender, afterwards, there's a 900-mile walk in chains to be captive in a foreign land where you'll never see your hometown again. That is the backdrop for these five lament poems. It's an anguished response of God's people being captured by the Babylonians. And today we're going to read the second poem, the book of Lamentations chapter 2. And I'm going to invite a couple helpers up. I'm going to invite Sarah Jane up and Jordan Otruba as well. Come on up, folks. So let me just tell you, Sarah Jane moved here, uh, how long ago, Sarah? So, yeah, she moved here about eight months ago, and she interns with RUF, which is a campus ministry at the University of Ma. She's doing great work with students. Make sure you meet Sarah Jane after the service. She's going to be our scribe today and write stuff down. This is Jordan Otruba. Jordan, how long ago did you move here? About a year and a half ago, and I became friends with Jordan uh, pretty quickly. He moved here from Washington State to plant a non-traditional church in Burlington. And so I'm really excited about what God's doing in him and how we as a church can help him accomplish that. He's going to be our reader this morning. And you all are going to be our preachers, okay? You're going to be discovery agents with me, and we're going to read some of the book of Lamentations together and kind of pull out a, a, a few pieces, okay? So I'm going to invite Jordan to read the first three verses of the chapter. The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lies in the dust thrown down from the heights of heaven. In his day of great anger, the Lord has shown no mercy, even to his temple. Without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Israel. In his anger, he has broken down the fortress walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He has brought them to the ground, dishonoring the kingdom and its rulers. All the strength of Israel vanishes beneath his fierce anger. The Lord has withdrawn his protection as the enemy attacks. He consumes the whole land of Israel like a raging fire. Okay, let's pause there. I'm going to ask a question. How does the poet describe God's actions in these verses? Nate, can you put those verses back up on the screen for me? Verses 1 through 3. How does the poet here describe God's actions? What is God doing here? Everybody, shout, You just shout it out because Sarah Jane is going to write this down. Anger. Yep, anger. Dark. Doesn't it say, too, like, dark shadow? Like, doesn't it say something like he cast a dark shadow? What else? Punishment? Yeah. Destroying. Yeah, without mercy was another one. What was that one? Oppression. Yeah. Say it louder. Dishonoring. Yeah, the kingdom. Hmm. What else do we see? Do you see the part where it says the fairest of Israel's cities lie in the dust, thrown down from the heights of heaven? It's almost like that's God's fault, right? Anything else you see? 
Yep. Yep. What about that part where it says, in his anger he has broken down the fortress walls? Hmm. Yeah, broken down. That's great. Can we put up the third verse? What do we see here? Any other actions of God we see? Yeah, withdrawn. Withdrawn. Circle that one, SJ. Circle that one. You can write that down. Okay, so let's pause here for a minute. The poet and the author of Lamentations here seems to be portraying God as a kind of a violent grump with a temper problem. <laughs> right? And yet we know from the rest of Scripture that, that uh, Scripture tells us that God is loving. He's patient, Scripture tells us. He's slow to anger. So what is going on here? Well, we have to understand this, that in the Scripture, when we read about God's anger and about his wrath, it's not speaking of a spontaneous, volatile anger. Whenever we read about God's anger and wrath, it's really about God's justice. You see, here's the thing. In order for God's love to be real, he also has to be just. Let me illustrate this for you. Okay, I'm a dad, a father of four children. Let's suppose, this doesn't happen at my house, but let's suppose it did. <laughs> let's suppose one of my children was being mean-spirited to another one of my children, and, and even like being abusive and like poking and making fun of, verbally abusive, and God forbid, physically abusive towards one of my children. What would I do if I was a perfect, loving parent? My daughter and wife are just like smirking right now because that is not who I am. But what if I was to be a perfect loving parent, what would I do? I, I would probably take time to educate them on why they shouldn't mistreat their sibling like that. Uh, I would try to get them to make some kind of reconciliation, right? Perhaps I would warn them, be like, hey, that's not... That's not right. That's not going to be tolerated. You can't, you can't abuse your, your sibling like that. But if, if that had persisted, if that abuse persisted, and I as a parent continually just allowed it without any discipline or recourse, would I be a loving parent? Do you see how love and justice are intertwined together? See, for God to be love he also has to be just. Because when we, when we start to destroy and wreck his shalom, he's patient, he's kind, he's loving, he's slow to anger, he gives us warnings, right? All through the Old Testament, you read of prophets coming and warning God's people. And yet, because he's love, there comes a time when justice demands a response. So God's loving, he's patient, he's also just. So let's go back to something in verse 3. And I had um, SJ circle the word there, withdrawn. Withdrawn, what is, what's going on here? Well, here's the backdrop to the book of Lamentations. The previous book, does anybody know what the previous book is? The book before Lamentations? It's the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Lamentations before this book is written, there's 500 years of history where, where God's people had 
been rejecting the covenant that they made with him. God's people have been rejecting this covenant that they made with God. And the book of Jeremiah, the first 38 chapters of it, points out all of their covenant abuses. And you should read the book of Jeremiah sometime. From chapter 1 to 38, these are not short chapters. They are lengthy chapters. And Jeremiah, who's the prophet from God, is telling God's people um, their, their covenant abuses, how they've been unfaithful, how they have pride, how they have arrogance, how they're not caring for the poor. They're neglecting the impoverished. They're uh, engaging in idolatry, worshiping other gods. They're listening to false prophets. They're ignoring God's word. They're allowing injustice in the temple and in their government. There's dishonesty. There's infidelity. The list just goes on and on and on. And when you read the prophets, particularly those 38 chapters of Jeremiah, what you find is this, that it's clear that God's people no, wa- no longer wanted to be in this covenant that they made with God because they're just abusing all of these covenant uh, agreements. And so what does God do? He gives them what they want. He withdraws. What do you suppose happens when God withdraws his presence and his covenant blessings? Chaos, right? When I think of hell, I think of a place where there's no blessing or presence of God. See, we have blessings of God that we take for granted, like air, like warmth, like companionship, like a full stomach, the feeling of not being alone, light. These are all blessings of God. If God withdraws, what would that place be like? And so here we read in the book of Lamentations, the poet says God has withdrawn. Not because he's volatile, not because he's spontaneously angry. For 500 years he's been patient, he's been loving. But because he's loving, he also has to be just. So part of his justice is withdraw. And now all this chaos is ensuing. And even though Jeremiah warned them what would happen, what an existence without God and his covenant blessings would look like, they chose it anyway. So let's keep reading. Jordan, can you come up and read verse 6 and 7 for us? He has broken down his temple as though it were merely a garden shelter. The Lord has blotted out all memory of the holy festivals and Sabbath days. Kings and priests fall together before his fierce anger. The Lord has rejected his own altar. He despises his own sanctuary. He has given Jerusalem's palaces to her enemies. They shout in the Lord's temple as though it were a day of celebration. Okay, come on up, Sarah Jane. Let's ask another question. I need you guys to help me preach this, these verses here. Here's the question I'm going to ask. Uh, how, does this, how does the poet describe God's holy temple here? Go ahead and shout some out. Say that again. A garden shelter. You know what a garden shelter was back then? It was kind of like a little lean-to or shack that you would build with sticks and whatever else you could. So if you were out gardening in the heat of the day and the sun was on you, you would just go under there just for a little bit of shade. But it was rickety. It was rickety. The house of the Lord, God's temple, has become like a garden shelter. What else? What else has God done to the temple here, according to the poet? 
He had his bike, his own sanctuary. Yep. What else do you see? What's that, Justin? Together? Yeah. Yeah, priests, ball. Anything else? Yeah, blotted out all memory of festivals, holy festivals, and Sabbath days. Blotted out all memory. So something had been going on for thousands of years, blotted out. What else? Yeah. Rejected his own altar. Hmm. Desecration. How about his given Jerusalem's palaces to her enemies? Wow. Wow, yeah. Let's keep reading. Jordan, can you come up and read for us um, verse 8 through 10? The Lord was determined to destroy the walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He made careful plans for their destruction then did what he planned. Therefore, the ramparts and walls have fallen down before him. Jerusalem's gates have sunk into the ground. He has smashed their locks and bars. Her kings and princes have been exiled to distant lands. Her law has ceased to exist. Her prophets receive no more visions from the Lord. The leaders of beautiful Jerusalem sit on the ground in silence. They are clothed in burlap, and throw dust on their heads. The young women of Jerusalem hang their heads in shame. Okay, so how does the poet describe the condition of the city of Jerusalem? What are some ways the poet describes the condition of the city? Go ahead, shout out. Destroyed. Abandoned. Yep. Smashed. Say that again? Sunk. Yeah, the gates are sunk, right? Fallen. Exile. Yeah, shame. Look at down at the bottom of, of, of the screen here. It says, her prophets receive no more visions from the Lord. Hmm. Lost, blind, deaf. Verse 11 says this, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Verse 13 says, Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Jordan, can you come up and read verse 18 and 19 for us? Cry aloud before the Lord, O walls of beautiful Jerusalem. Let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourselves no rest. Give your eyes no relief. Rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to him in prayer, pleading for your children, for in every street they are faint with hunger. Okay, so how does the poet here exhort them to respond to everything that's happening? How are they exhorted to respond? Go ahead, shout out. Cry aloud. Yeah, the first words, right? Yep. What else? No rest. Yeah. 
Any other words pop out? Cry, yeah. Say that again. Pray, yeah. Plead. Yep, hands, lift up your hands. That's right, Justin. What else? Say that again. Yeah, continued prayer. How about this? Let your tears flow like a river. Day and night. Anything else? Don't give up. Pleading, yep. Give your eyes no relief. Hey, can we thank our scribe and our reader? Thank you. So the, the poet in Lamentations 2 exhorts the people to respond. And, and the poet says, don't be complacent, right? Don't turn a blind eye to any of this. Name what is vexing you. Name what is vexing your people. Take all of that, all of the emotions all the sadness, the anger, the frustration, the confusion, and do what with it? Turn it into prayer. See, here's the thing. Biblical lament is designed to position us toward humility, repentance, and prayer. That's what it's for. Biblical lament is designed to position us toward humility, toward repentance, and toward prayer. So I'm going to wrap up this morning with a few questions. But before I do that, I just want to explain a little bit about why we chose the book of Lamentations. We're in this season on the church calendar called Lent. And Lent is the time period of 40 days that leads up to Easter, where what do we do on Easter Sunday? We rejoice and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, how he overcame and conquered sin and death once and for all. And, 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 and there's so much hope and celebration and joy and, and that Sunday when we come together for worship. But what Lent is supposed to do is pre- prepare us for that. And so Lent is a time that positions us towards humility. It positions us toward repentance, and it positions us towards prayer. So let me wrap up this morning by asking you a few questions. Here's the first question I'm going to ask. Is there anything happening in your own life that you need to lament over? Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a health condition. Maybe it's a sin pattern that just beats you up and you can't break free from it. Maybe it's some things that that you have been neglecting and trying to avoid and distract yourself from. What would it look like for you to lament over those things? That's the first question. Here's the second question. Is there anything happening in your neighborhood, your classroom, your workplace, or your city that you need to lament over? Consider that for a minute. What's happening where you live that brings you sorrow or confusion or anger? What about nationally and even globally? Can I share something I've been lamenting as of late? I've been lamenting this whole coronavirus thing. You know, a tenth of the world's population, although it hasn't affected us dramatically in Vermont, a tenth of the world's population is on lockdown. Our friend Sunshine, her husband and son, are stuck in their apartment in China. 
Um, 16 million last night in Italy were put on lockdown. Um, parts of Saudi Arabia, parts of Vietnam, all on lockdown. According to CNN, almost 300 million students in 22 countries have had their education disrupted. And people are afraid, they're anxious. There are people of Asian heritage that are being bullied and being discriminated against. Folks, this is, this is all worthy of lament. And if God's people can't lament, who's going to do it? If God's people can't position ourselves towards humility and repentance and prayer and, and just cry out to God, who's going to do it? And there's no shortage of things to lament over in our world, is there? This virus is one of many that we could lament over. And here's the thing. God doesn't want us to neglect lament. And you know, for the church, specifically the American church, we avoid books like Lamentations and we avoid passages of scripture like we just read because we feel, well, if I, if I read those and if I pray that way and I think about the world that way and God and his work that way, then that means I have weak faith. No, it does not. It's the exact opposite. It means you need God. That's the definition of big faith. We think that when we lament and then we're sorrowful and that when we're grieving, oh, it's not putting faith in God. No, the scripture, scripture has that in there for a reason so that we can use that. And we can say, no, we desperately need God. That's why we're lamenting because we live in a broken, sin-torn world. My life is broken and sin-torn. I need God. And I need to, I need to lament those things in my life and those things in the world because they pull me closer to him. They, they allow me to become dependent on him. So God doesn't want us to neglect lament and um, lament is not an admission of weak faith. It, it's an admission that we need God. And so we're going to close the service today just by taking a moment to lament together. Easter's coming. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> And by the way, God doesn't speak in the book of Lamentations, but he does respond with Jesus. And so that's coming, but we're not there yet. We're in this place of Lent and Lamentations and moving and positioning ourselves toward God, toward prayer, toward humility, toward repentance. So what we're going to do this morning is just take a minute to, to lament together, and I'm going to pray for us all. But before I do that, I want us to quiet ourselves and maybe invite everyone just to close their eyes for a moment. And I want you to think of one thing you need to lament of in your life or in the world. Just think of one. One thing that you need to lament of in your life or in the world. And let's bring that before the Lord this morning. Let me pray. Father, we come before you. And we just confess that we do not like this feeling of discomfort and lament and sorrow and grief and confusion. It's not what we, where we choose to live. But Lord, each one of us in this room has something that we're lamenting, either in our own lives or in the world. And we come to this sacred space, this safe space, to bring that lament before you. To posture ourselves towards humility, toward repentance, and in prayer. 
And we declare that this, although it feels like it's a weak faith, Lord, we know it's a strong faith because we are declaring our need and our dependence on you. So we bring our lament before you. Lord, would you break our heart with what breaks yours? Lord, so that we could see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why we pray that prayer. But right now, Lord, it's far from that. And so, Father, we pray for the courage that we need to posture and position ourselves, to line ourselves up with this book of Lamentations, and to ask you to meet us there in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our grief. And we know that you will because you're a good God. Or prepare our hearts even for Easter that's coming where Jesus completely defeated sin and death. And where we hope and, and trust in, in him and the work that he did on the cross and through his resurrection that things will not always be as they are. But he's going to finish what he started. So we pray, because we know you're able to do both things. You're able to meet us in a place of lament, and you're able to fill and flood our souls and our hearts with hope of your truth. So we give you praise, Lord, because we are just so enabled to deal with, with all the brokenness in, this, and in our lives and in the world. But we know that you're able. And so we declare our trust in you. We say, come, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 